0: as hell and I want to get ill. So I go to a place where my homeboys chill. Bella's out there trying to make that dollar. I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala.
1: All right, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And
2: I am Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot.
1: And today we're here to talk to you about two movies, uh, Vacation. It's the sequel slash kind of reboot of the original National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, and also Mission Impossible uh, Rogue Nation, which is actually Mission Impossible 5. Uh, Thankfully, the movie gods were a bit kinder to us this week after having to put up with Pixels last week, so we're going to go ahead and and jump in with Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Uh, So I said, it's the fifth outing in the series, uh, written and directed by Chris McQuarrie, who previously had worked with Tom Cruise on Valkyrie and Jack Reacher, and he actually won the Academy Award for uh, Best Original Screenplay for uh, Usual Usual Suspects back about 20 years ago. So this time, uh, Tom Cruise is back as Ethan Hunt, and the movie starts out where uh, he he and the IMF are facing Senate oversight hearings due to the wanton destruction they caused uh, throughout Ghost Protocol, Maybe you've seen that, you know, it involves blowing up the Kremlin, a nuclear bomb. There's all kinds of disasters. So uh, CIA director Alan Hunley wants to shut them down. He's played by Alec Baldwin. And uh, wants to bring Ethan Hunt in to have him answer technically for his crimes. Uh, Ethan, though, was uh, recently kidnapped by a shadowy organization he believes is uh, known as the Syndicate. It's kind of like an anti-IMF. So he stays on the run and is looking to basically track them down find out who they are, and expose them. Uh, so he is joined by his good friend Benji Dunn, who's played by Simon Pegg, who goes to Europe with him and works to get more intel, kind of track down what's happening, um, only be, to be stopped by a possible double agent known as Ilsa Faust, played by Rebecca Ferguson. Um, she answers to the head of the syndicate, Solomon Lane, played by Sean Harris. But at the same time, she's also had saved Ethan Hunt's life. Uh, previously when he was originally captured by the Syndicate. So he's kind of wondering what to do, what's happening. Uh, So he calls in uh, old-school friends Luther Stickle, played by Ving Roms, and William Brandt, Jeremy Renner, to come in, track her down. Uh, They eventually join forces and work together to steal a computer chip that will have enough information to fully expose and destroy the Syndicate. Uh, But, of course, there's an unhackable computer that's underwater, and shenanigans ensue, and... Race to death, blah, 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 all that fun stuff. Um, so, Andy, what, I mean, this is the fifth one. So, do you think it's worthy of having
2: four sequels after the original? You know, the fact that this franchise keeps putting out quality movies is a testament to the basic idea. I mean, this was a TV show that ran for forever in a lot of different iterations. And they just keep reinventing this movie. I thought this movie was not as great as uh, some of its other outings, Um, but I think that's mostly due to the incredibly high regard that I have for J.J. Abrams' Mission Impossible 3 and Brad Bird's Ghost Protocol. I thought those movies were just really excellent, and I really, really like the deconstruction of the entire spy genre and of Mission Impossible itself that happens in the very first movie, uh, which is now almost 20 years old which is that's insane to um, to think about but um, the fact that it it's even passable and that Tom Cruise is still doing a great job is still believable here and that this is a lot of fun uh, I think I think this is a great movie and I think audiences will will eat this up like candy
1: Right and like I mentioned earlier and what you said there is that you know for a movie franchise to be this strong this far in and really the only dud you have was the second one and even that wasn't horrible it was just a complete tonal shift from what even yeah,
2: I movies huh? I have a very soft space in my heart for the second vision <laughs> impossible movie it is it's so dumb but yeah and it borders on self parody but no, it becomes self-parody, but it's it, it, it's okay if you don't take it too seriously. It's not harmful, and I I keep going back to Pixels and how bad that is, and that's like my <laughs> new my new low water mark. We, and we can't
1: compare everything to Pixels
2: as much as we would like to. <laughs> no, I really shouldn't. It'll make me be way way too kind to to everything else but right uh, but i still think that this is a fairly strong action movie it's a good spy movie um my only complaint is maybe it's a little bit too uh paint by the numbers uh this this feels almost like a greatest hits album of the various other elements mm-hmm. of the mission impossible franchise uh there may be a double agent uh an impossible to hack computer a secret list that we have to decode. Uh, we've heard all of these elements before. And what I like so much about Ghost Protocol and Mission Impossible 3 was they issue a lot of those really easy things uh, for things that were new and very inventive. Yeah. And, um, you know, the the villain in this movie never quite reaches the level of villainy that Philip Seymour Hoffman does. In the third film Mm -hmm. uh there and i keep going back to these huge iconic moments in uh, the other mission impossible films uh the you know climbing on the skyscraper in in dubai in ghost protocol uh you know trying to hack into the cia and get that knock list and that um You know what what tom cruise is doing on the wires in that first movie like there's nothing that quite rises to that level except what we saw in the trailer um it's really really good but it it's not quite as good as those other things and that that feels like i'm knocking on it but it's it's like i don't know it's like Oh, it was a really good Star Wars movie. It just wasn't as good as the original Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back. So mm-hmm. And you know, like you mentioned, it
1: is kind of a. It does have a lot of throwbacks to the previous Mission Impossible movies, and for me, as someone who's a big fan, it it was really fun to kind of see those little Easter eggs pop out and be like, "Oh, they're harking back to you. like the knock list or um, when he's hanging on the plane, and it's like the the skyscraper in yeah. Ghost Protocol." Uh, speaking of the plane, I am very, very glad they actually, that's the first scene in the movie, so it's kind of good they got it out of the way, because it's the most iconic moment in that trailer, and to have the audience waiting for the whole movie probably would have been distracting, so I thought it was kind of cool that they said, hey, look, we did it, and then let's go to the real story. <laughs>
2: and and it fit in organically with it, yes. and it it also did something that this movie, or that this franchise generally does well, where it starts off with a... A big action sequence up front to kind of satiate you that, uh, get you that hit really early on, so that then they can delve deeper into mm-hmm. a, a much deeper plot. The the James Bond movies do this exact same thing. Um, you know, big action sequence up front. the The thing that I love though is, as much as that was Tom Cruise's scene, when you're watching it, this very subtly begins to shift into becoming Simon Pegg's movie. And from that opening scene, uh, all the way through to the final climax, Simon Pegg does the best work of anyone in this movie. And his character arc is the most interesting, and he really nails this as an actor. For someone who started off in a very minor role uh, and you know, has always just been kind of a character actor and, and uh, a fan favorite, a cult favorite. He does great here. And I I love that. And it's really funny. I watched uh,
1: Ghost Protocol a couple days ago. And it was really interesting to see, even from that movie, how his character revolves. Because in that one, when you first meet him, he's Tom, Ethan Hunt's Surprise, He's there. He's like, Benji, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I, I passed the, uh, the field agent test. I can be an agent now. And like when they break into the Kremlin and everything else, he's just so insecure and kind of unaware of how he fits into the situation. Whereas in Road Nation, he's fully confident. He knows what he's doing. He's volunteering for dangerous missions. And so, yeah, the, the character arc and evolution for him is awesome. But the thing that's great is you know Chris McQuarrie wrote a great script in the sense that, uh, with the exception of Jeremy Renner and Vane Roms, who kind of were background characters anyways, yeah. uh, everyone gets to have fun. You know, obviously, Tom Cruise is a great Ethan Hunt. I, you know, his name is synonymous with the role. And he does a perfectly great job. I mean, you, you fully believe he's an action star doing these things. I mean, he's a special agent. And the fact that he does his own stunts a lot does kind of help with that, too. Uh, but Simon Pegg gets to have a lot of fun, do a lot of really cool things. Uh, and then Rebecca Ferguson as the syndicate agent, double agent, whatever she is, uh, Ilsa Faust. She is a badass, too. I mean, she really gets to come in and kind of be... Uh, Ethan Hunt's foil, and since that she's good, she's bad. You don't know what's going on, but she gets to save his life in certain scenes. So, you know, she she has a moment to shine.
2: That but was one, really that yeah. was really great. Was that there were so many situations where Tom Cruise becomes the damsel in distress, and you have this badass female spy who comes in and kicks all sorts of ass and leaves yeah. him. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, like I said, and then Jeremy Renner and Ving Roms are kind of in the background. Jeremy Renner gets some funny lines. Um, Alec Baldwin, I was actually surprised because he comes in as crusty old director Hunley and rah, 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 IMF, rah, 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 shut it down. And then kind of unintentionally gets involved in some of their shenanigans. And he just, it, it's great. I mean, he's, he's you know, likable as a kind of funny bad guy. Uh, funny in the sense he's not trying to be, but it comes across that way because it's, it's a ridiculous situation. Uh, they set him up great for the next one, which I'm sure they're going to do. Uh, the only person I really have a problem with, and my sticking point with this movie, Sean Harris's role as Solomon Lane, the head of the Syndicate. Uh, yeah. So it was like seeing Eddie Redmayne as Abraxas in uh, Jupiter Ascending, where he wanted to whisper his lines and try to seem menacing by seeming quiet. And it doesn't work for that kind of character. He just seemed very bland. And the Syndicate itself, the, the I guess maybe the point of the movie is that the only reason why the syndicate was bad, like, yes, they had killed people and they'd done some horrible things, but if you stop and think about it, the IMF has done the same things. The U.S. government, the U.K. government, I mean, all these quote-unquote good guys are out there doing the same thing. The only difference is they covered up better and no one knew about it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that's I, for, for me, maybe the point was to be the reason why you label someone a good or a bad guy comes from of just context of what's known and what's not known. Um, but the syndicate didn't always really seem like that powerful, of this crazy organization that they were a worthy adversary for the IMF. Uh, and Solomon Lane definitely wasn't for Ethan Hunt. I,
2: I agree and I disagree. I feel that the character as written was a worthy opponent. I feel like he did not show up on screen that way at all. And there, essentially he was playing this chess match where – no matter what Ethan Hunt and his team did, he was going to win. And it wasn't until the very, very end that uh, they're finally able to outwit him. Um, I I liked that. I thought that that was good. But yeah, that, I think the comparison to Eddie Redmayne and Jupiter Ascending is unfortunately very apt. Um, he just didn't just didn't bring it and I, I keep going back to uh, that that scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman where he's in the plane and he's like do you have a girlfriend? Do you have someone you love? When this is over I'm gonna find her and I'm going to mm-hmm. hurt her and you're like oh my gosh this guy is insane and I totally believe that he's gonna do all of these awful things and I never got that sense of peril from this guy. It just... Uh, he, was, uh, he was someone that they were dueling with. He wasn't someone who was ultimately that dangerous. And see, I, I found yeah. the ending uh, with, like, you mentioned of like, they're doing a chess match back and
1: forth. I, I found it very anticlimactic and almost too predictable in a sense. Uh, for me, if you want to see a really good literal and figurative chess match, uh, one of the best I've ever seen between two adversaries was in uh, Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows between Holmes and Moriarty, who were Robert Downey Jr. and Jared Harris. And they're literally playing chess, but they're also superimposing that over how the scene's going on and what's happening downstairs. And even though it was just a chess match, it was the the tensest moment of that movie and worked perfectly. Whereas, like I said, this one, the moment something happened in the end, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And it just... I don't know. It, it, again, I'm quibbling because I really, really like this movie a lot. I had a lot of fun. Uh, you got to see it IMAX, which I'm jealous of because I really wanted to see it that way. I'd recommend seeing it in IMAX. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, I'm quibbling over small stuff, but uh, it's just a couple things that kept it from being a really good movie from going to an excellent movie. So I, I'm in an 8 out of 10. I think I liked it a little bit more than you.
2: Yeah, I'm at a 7 out of 10. I, I liked it. I didn't think it was as great as I said, as some of the other ones. But again, that's more because of the incredibly high regard that I have for Brad Bird and J.J. Abrams' work, especially.
1: But like we said, we both agree, it's it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun, and there are a lot worse movies you could possibly go to, so stay away from them and go see this one,
2: Uh, and possibly uh, our next movie, uh, Vacation. Vacation, the reboot-slash- Semi sequel of, of the 1983 National Lampoon's Family Vacation, uh, where Clark Griswold tries to take his family to Wally World. Well, in this one, little Rusty Griswold is all grown up and all grown up. He's got his, <laughs> he's got his own family and his own problems. So Ed Helms uh, as as Rusty, uh, who's what the fourth or fifth different actor to play this role uh and they they make some really hilarious uh, allusions to that in uh in this film with lots of different family photos of the different actors who have played rusty in, in and <laughs> it was funny so uh so ed helms says i'm gonna take the family to wally world this is how we're going to beat the doldrums. I'm going to reconnect with my wife. Uh, the kids are going to stop fighting each other. And so they go on a, a nationwide road trip. Uh, they stop through, uh, his wife's old college, uh, his wife, uh, <laughs> Debbie played by Christina Applegate, where they learned that in college, she was known as do anything, Debbie, uh, <laughs> and there's some, uh, there's some hilarity there. And as, Christina Applegate decides she wants to try and recapture her youth, and um, then the the two kids, uh, whose names are James and Kevin, uh, played by Skylar Gisondo and Steele Stevens, uh, they're just fighting the entire constant time. And this might be the funniest part of the movie uh, is the uh, in an interesting twist, the younger son. Is picking on the older son. And the older son is he's kind of a he's kind of a sweet spirit, and he he, he, he keeps like has his kind of dude. He he has his guitar, and he keeps playing "Summer Breeze" by Steel and Crop. <laughs> by Steel <and> Crop. <laughs> <laughs> but there is this girl who they keep seeing on the road and at the different hotels that they stay at, and maybe there is uh, a little bit of spark between them that keeps getting shut off. Because of the uh, ineptness of of his brother and his father, so uh, they they also stop by uh, on their way to Wally World. Uh, Audrey, uh, the the daughter of, played here by uh, Leslie Mann, and her husband, uh, played by Chris Hemsworth, who is a very rich and successful. TV weatherman in Plano, Texas. And he lives out on a cattle ranch and he's all rough and tumble and he may or may not want to try and sleep with Debbie Griswold. <laughs> so there's some uh really really funny uh scenes with that and um Chris Hemsworth showing off his um six pack uh, his six pack. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh you know, this is, I mean, this is a road trip movie. And, you know, all I had to say is they, they go on a trip to Wally World and hijinks ensue. And and that's essentially what you've got here. So it's not the destination, it's the journey. Uh, and there's all sorts of hilarious uh, things along the way. There's also a great bit with a trucker who is, seems to be stalking the Griswold family, which climaxes in one of the absolute greatest movie cameos of the last five years. Uh, when you see bo- who's behind the wheel of that big rig, uh, you're you're going to laugh and you're going to smile. It's just absolutely great. Um, there's also a great scene. Uh, I'll just say this. There's a great scene at the Four Corners monument between Utah, Colorado, yep. New Mexico, and Arizona. Um, and I won't say any more than that, but that was my absolute favorite part of the entire movie. Um, there's there's a lot to love here. It's really funny. It seems to capture a lot of the spirit of the original uh while also completely reinventing itself. Um it's a lot more crude and crass than the original. I think that's probably because we feel like we can get away with more in terms of comedy. I don't think in in 1983, John Hughes and Harold Ramis were like, "Oh, it'd be really funny if the family like bathed in poop, and <laughs> that would that would be funny." Um, or uh, all of the jokes that that are popping into my head are just completely inappropriate, and I I won't repeat them. But but they're yeah. funny, and that's and that's the bottom line.
1: Well, and I always
2: I always appreciate
1: an R-rated comedy that isn't afraid to go full out and take advantage of a trading uh, train wreck with Amy Schumer did that recently. Uh, but yeah, this movie is funny. Uh, I went and saw it with some friends of mine and I mean, I, I hurt my sides hurt from laughing and very, very rarely in the comedy does that actually happen uh, to where I'm actually still in pain like the next day. Uh, but yeah, the jokes are all sharp. They're really funny. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's dirty as hell. I mean, some of the stuff that comes out of people's mouths, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I didn't know you could say that in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it is a sequel uh, slash kind of a reboot because it's essentially retelling the vacation story. In fact, if you've seen the vacation, which I would hope everyone has, the, the original, uh, you'll you'll know exactly what's coming. You know all the twists and turns. You know the jokes are new, but the plot's the same. We know when Ed Helms is gonna, as Rusty's gonna just break down and go crazy and start cussing and going everywhere. Um, you know you know where it's gonna go, how everything's gonna go wrong. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, the movie even references that at the very beginning when Ed Helms is talking about the original vacation. And his kid's like, I don't, I don't think I even remember the vacation. He's like, don't worry. This vacation will be brand new. It'll stand on its own. So they're fully aware of what they're doing. Uh, but yeah, really funny. You mentioned the, the four corners. I'm not going to say anything else about that either because that's hilarious. There's a great river-racking scene. Uh, what this movie does so well is it's got tremendously amazing cameos. Uh, you've got uh, Sweet D and Charlie Day from Always Sunny pop up in there. Yes. Michael Pena, who we absolutely loved in Ant-Man. Uh, you mentioned <coughs> Chris Hemsworth, uh, the trucker, I'm not going to say, because that's a really fun reveal. Uh, everyone who shows up has a lot of fun. They fit in. They throw out great one-liners, and they don't wear out their welcome. They're they're there for a couple minutes, and then they leave, and we're on to the next big adventure. Uh, that being said, though, the one cameo I really wish they wouldn't maybe wouldn't have done was they do eventually meet up with Clark Griswold Chevy Chase yes. and I'm sorry Chevy I love you you're a hilarious person uh, but you're looking like a doddering old fool up there I mean you're, you're not funny you got a couple cool lines but unfortunately you know you're just it's, it's time to go sit back collect those royalty checks and just enjoy the rest of your life because you're just not set for movies anymore I'm sorry I, I wish you were but you're just not
2: so yeah, a that that, kind of letdown. That was the one like black hole of comedy in this entire movie. It where most films kind of build up to this great climax, we build up to this like just awful little black pit where everything ceases to be funny for about 10 minutes mm-hmm. and it becomes really sentimental and they have to move the plot forward and uh, it all centers around uh, Heavy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo, and they're just not funny anymore. And it just, they don't really fit in this movie. And I, yeah, I wish they could have found a way around it, but I i guess, I don't know, were they contractually obligated to have the two of them in here? Um, no, so. because
1: this actually is 100% different uh, It's not affiliated with National Lampoon whatsoever. In fact, I think National Lampoon, uh, if I remember correctly, recently announced they're actually going to do their own new National Lampoon type movie. So this is completely standalone in the sense that it's in the same universe, has the same characters, but it's not... I I don't know the legalities of it, but it's not officially tied to the National Lampoon moniker. Um, So yeah, that was... I wish I wouldn't have been there. Um, The one one double-edged sword with this movie, too... Is don't go watch the trailers. Uh, the the Red Band trailers, while hilarious, and do show off like the best bits of the movie. In fact, there is a big running gag that is spoiled by that. I say it's a double edged sword because I've had multiple people who I've told like you need to go see this movie. It's hilarious. I'm like, oh, I saw the trailer. it just kind of looked, eh. So then I show them one of the Red Band ones, and within two seconds they're in because, like we said, it's a hilariously dirty and raunchy movie, and that's a big part of the humor so they're excited and then you know i knew well, I, i'd smell the trailer so i still had a really good time but there's a couple things i wish i wouldn't have known uh like we mentioned with terminator genesis the big plot twist in that you know that was boom thrown out there in the trailers uh I'm not as big with this because there aren't plot twists it's a, it's a comedy for god's sake yeah uh, but there are some things i wish i wouldn't have known going in so you know, just just take our word for it go check it out. It's really funny. Uh, it's really dirty. Do not bring your kids. I've had uh, my friend was like, Can I bring my kids? They're nine and ten. I'm like, no. 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 No, 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 no. Maybe maybe if they were 16, but not nine or 10. She's like, Well, sometimes I read movies. And I explained one of the jokes, and she just kind of paled, and she's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but I loved it. I, actually, I'm giving this one an eight as well. Eight out of 10. I, I had a really good time with it. Uh, the moment I got done, I wanted to take all my friends who hadn't seen it and rush out and see it again. So uh, for me,
2: it was a big win. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same place that I was uh, with Mission Impossible as well. I'm also at seven. I think it's a great movie. It's definitely worth your time. Um, but I, I see some flaws in it. Um, so uh, it's, it's funny that we both came down in exactly the <laughs> – Right? <laughs> these movies. Uh, the one thing I did want to mention is that the, the writers and directors of, uh, of Vacation – uh, they are they just got the job of writing the new spider-man
1: movie which I'm very excited for because this if this film's any indication they can make a smart witty sarcastic spider-man um, come to life and be much being be realistic
2: yeah Jonathan M Goldstein and John Francis Daly um, uh, John Francis Daly you might remember from Freaks and Geeks and he also has a recurring character on bones uh, he's he's really funny and um, and they're together they're, They've been doing a lot of good comedy work. If you look them up on IMDb and they can, uh, I'm excited for where they're going to take that. I don't, I don't think that we will have Spider-Man making dirty jokes, but. Uh, oh, I would love that though. <laughs> if, if some of these jokes came out of, uh, of, of Peter Parker's mouth. You know, if they wrote him more in that overly earnest way, well, you forgot one or my, my single favorite cameo is Tim Heidecker from Tim and Eric. Um, like Tim and Eric. Awesome. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, if they, if they write him like that, uh, like that cop that he plays, then, then I, I could see that he's kind of overly earnest and, uh, yeah, but, um, I'm I'm just excited for that. Um, but both of these movies were were great, and I think they're worth anybody's time. And uh, you know, please go see these. Please do not go see uh, other movies that will be named.
1: Sorry, I'm
2: sorry. <laughs> but, I think a drink here. That are out there. Um, these are worth your time, and uh, I'm I'm glad that, that we have them. Cool. So again, this week, uh, much better. We had two overall good movies. Uh,
1: one to leave the kids at home to, and then one to definitely go see an IMAX because you need to see it on a big screen. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, we got three big ones next week though. We've got The Gift, which is the Jason Bateman thriller, which actually looks interesting to see him in a role other than what he normally does like in his other movies and <clears> the <throat> rest of the development. Uh, we got Ricky and the Flash, which is Meryl Streep trying to get an Oscar again. Uh, And finally, we've got Fantastic Four. It's the reboot by Josh Trank, who did Chronicle. Uh, It's been beset by problems pretty much from the moment they started. So I think we're a little bit anxious to see how this one turns out. Hopefully it's good. Um, But if not, or if it is, we'll definitely let you know next week. Andy, go ahead and take us out.
0: I'm 37. What? I'm 37. I'm not old.
1: Hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon.
0: trippin', but it's alright. Homie scored a key. He's gonna fly punk ass fly. Old woman, man, man, sorry. What knight lives in that castle over there? I'm thirty-seven. Uh, what? I'm thirty-seven. I'm not old. Well, I can't just call you man. You could say Dennis. I didn't know you were called Dennis. Well, you didn't bother to find out, did you? I did say sorry about the old woman, but from behind you looked... What well, I the... object to is he you automatically treat me like an inferior. Well, I am king. Oh, king, eh? Very nice. And how would you get that, eh? By exploiting the workers. By hanging on to outdated imperialist dogma which perpetuates the economic and social differences in our society. If there's ever going to be any progress... Dennis, there's got... some lovely filth down here. Oh, how'd you do? How do you do, good lady? I am Arthur, King of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king. I didn't know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship. A self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes. Oh, there you go. Bringing class into it again. That's what it's all about. If only people would... Please, please, good people. I am in haste. Who lives in that castle? No-one lives there. Then who is your lord? We don't have a lord. What? I told you, we're an anarcho-syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case be of more Be maj- quiet. I order you to be quiet. Order? Who does he think he is? I'm your king. Well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. Well, how'd you become king, then? The Lady of the Lake, her arm clad in the purest, shimmering Samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! Oh, but You can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! Oh, but if I went round saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they'd put me away. Shut up, will you? Shut up! Ah, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up! Oh. Come and see the violence inherent in the system! Help! Help! I'm being repressed, bloody peasant! Oh, what a giveaway. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, eh? That's what I'm on about. Did you see him repressing me? You saw it, didn't you?